know God. And Julie uh, gave a great message last Sunday evening uh, regarding knowing God and gave us three or four great points to help us. If you've never known God, that's the passion of Arena Church. Um, someone says that God is not just to be learned about, it's to be experienced. Oh, you say, what does that mean? It means exactly that. God is not just to be learned about. You cannot get to know God by head knowledge. You cannot get to know God by theology. I was talking to Amelia this morning uh, because it reminded me of an, uh, uh, an interview I had this week with a, a young lady that did a theology degree in a university and uh, not a Bible college, but a university. And most of the people on the course, theology mean the, meaning the doctrine of God, didn't believe in God. So you can't get to God simply by head knowledge. It's to be experienced. It's to be felt. It's to be received. It's to be washed over. That's the heart of God. And we're believing, friends, that we will learn about God, but we will also experience God. And God wants to be known, and he wants you to know him. Building upon that, we also want to realize that we need to find freedom, which is where we're going to go tonight. We're going to discover our purpose, another message, and then we'll make a difference. So there's an intentional journey in Arena Church in this season for all of us, from the beginnings of faith, knowing God, to the outworkings of faith, making a difference. By the way, that is good theology. I've just been reading again the book of Ephesians. It really is a book of two halves, six chapters in the New Testament. The first three chapters remind us of what God has sown in. The second three chapters remind us of what God wants to sow out from us. He sows in by his grace, something that we can't work up, and then we live out the life of God, always moving forward. Pastor Chris Hodges, leading a great prevailing church, says success in the church is people moving on a spiritual journey. Success in a church is people moving on a spiritual journey. Again, it may seem an obvious comment, but a lot of churches suffer from spiritual inertia. They become stuck. Nobody's moved anywhere for years. And going back to Josh's point at the beginning, it means that we perpetuate something called church, but actually we're not really experiencing it. Because true church moves us on. True church reflects a journey. True church takes us from there to there. True church means we're different now to what we were a year ago. And thank God for all of that. We don't do it without intentionality and an expectancy of God to move. So tonight is another nudge, another cheer, another word in the cause of helping us to find freedom. Freedom is defined as a state of being free. It means to be at liberty rather, to, rather than to be confined or restrained. To be at liberty rather than to be confined or restrained. If we could have that up on the screen as well, it'll just help us to just be on, on the ball. Finding freedom. And there's two verses that I want us to look at tonight. John 8:32. John 8, 32, the good news book of John in the New Testament, where Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then John 8, 36, just a few verses down, for if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So knowing God, expressed in faith and coming to a public declaration in baptism, 
but now going on a journey of finding freedom. Let me just give you the context of John 8 for a moment because Jesus was talking to religious people. He was talking to them about being free. They denied that they'd ever been captive. That wasn't true. Because if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that the chosen people of God of the Old Testament, on several occasions, because of their disobedience, found themselves captive. But actually, that completely missed the point. The point that Jesus was talking about with regard to liberty was not physical liberty, but it was spiritual liberty. It wasn't liberty external, it was liberty internal. I'll I'll say tonight, friends, without contradiction, you can have all the liberty on the outside, but if you're not free and finding freedom on the inside, you are bound. And you will never experience the life that God has purchased for you in Jesus until you find freedom inwardly. God's doing a great work in many unusual contexts in these days. I want you to be encouraged. And one of the areas where God is moving, friends, is in Her Majesty's presence. A lot of people in there with a lot of brokenness and have hurt a lot of people, made a lot of wrong choices, poor choices, and paying the consequences. But God's at work. Alpha, for instance, is being used wonderfully in the prisons. And if I can say it with a slight play on words, people whose natural liberty is being compromised because of their wrongs are finding freedom on the insides. Every one of us needs to be free on the inside. That is what is all important. Now let me let you into a debate that preachers and pastors have had on many occasions regarding freedom. It's this. Some people believe that when we get saved, when we come to know God, the Bible describes it as being born again. John chapter 3. The theological word for that is regeneration. In other words, we come alive on the inside. It may be that you were one of those skeptics that came to church and said, what's all those people doing? Playing songs and lifting hands. Or you may be one of those people that are gladly in church tonight that once confessed, you'll never find me in church. Uh, But God did something on the inside of your life. You became alive to God. You were born again of his spirit and you became a Christian. Now, some people say, that's it. They would rail against Celebrate Recovery, Freedom in Christ, counseling, rehabilitation courses, because they would declare that it was all done at the cross. Well, none of us would argue with the fact that it was all done at the cross. But how does it work out in our lives? Well, let me give you what I believe the Bible reveals as the answer, and it's twofold. Number one, there is a conversion to Christ. We believe in this church in conversion. Not just coming to church, not just sitting on a seat, not trying to do good works to get to God, but doing good works because we found God. Being converted. For some people in the room tonight, they would be able to take you to the church building, the pastor that spoke, the message that was preached, the day that they got saved, the time that they walked to the front of the church, the person that prayed for them. They've got absolute clarity on the moment of conversion. For other people, it was different. Uh, It was more gradual. It was something that they knew had taken place over a period of time, that they'd come out of darkness into light. They came to know God. And one of the things that we need to do on that journey, as Julie reminded us last week, as a public expression of that, 
is to reveal it in baptism. So important. Knowing God. Now, it may have been that your conversion was spectacular. It may be, for instance, that uh, you couldn't string a sentence together without swearing. And you got saved, and without even realizing it, you stopped swearing. And they're all saying at work, what's up with you? You used to put the money in the swear box. Now there's nothing going in. It may be that you drank like a trooper. And when you got saved, you sort of didn't want to go to the pub anymore. It seemed empty, shallow, vacuous. It may be that you didn't have a conscience. You didn't care who you trampled on. You didn't think about anybody. When you got saved, your conscience, which is a gift from God, became sharpened. And uh, it went deep in your heart in terms of how you behaved, how you lived. I get all of that. Different things to different people. The reality is, friends, that however we were changed, we need to keep being changed. However much we found freedom, we need to continually find freedom. Because the other element of the journey is not just conversion, which we might define as the crisis. It's sanctification, which we define as the process. What does that long word sanctification mean? Well, it's in the Bible, so I'm not apologizing for it. But it simply means to be holy. The word sanctify and the word holy interchange in the Bible. They mean the same thing. In the Old Testament, which is full of shadows and types, which were given as an insight into the work of Jesus on the cross, that's why those things were demolished, you realize that things were sanctified. There was a tent in the Bible called the tabernacle. It was the place of worship. They would sanctify things. And then if you take the trouble to read Leviticus sometime, you'll see the rigmarole that the priests had to go through to represent the people in the holiest of all. He had to be sanctified. He had to be clean. He had to be holy. Some people think that's still the way it's done. The reality is in the cross, we're all kings and priests to God. And it was shadows and types pointing towards what Jesus did in the final work of the cross that brought us into a new order. It's not about things now. It's not about tables and bowls. It's not about arcs. It's not about garments. It's about people. That's all God's bothered about. The only thing that he's bothered about being holy in the New Testament is people. We've replaced it with holy days, holy temples, holy things, holy artifacts, holy places, holy windows. None of those things, friends, matter. I'm sorry. And I like wandering around all those places, gazing at those things that are supposedly holy. The only thing that matters regarding being holy in the New Testament, in the New Order, is us. God is passionate about people finding freedom. And being holy and pursuing holiness is to be truly free. My point being, which I'll try and land before the message finishes is whilst we thank God that Jesus has set us free, there's a journey for all of us to continually find freedom. And the more I push into God, and the more I sense his presence, and the more I want to be the man that God has destined and purposed me to be, the more I realize I'm still in pursuit of being free. It's an amazing journey. And you may be here tonight, you've never been to church before, you need to find freedom. It may be that you've been a Christian 30 or 40 years and have been in hundreds of these settings. 
But we're believing, friends, that you will be freshly inspired in this season to continually find all that God has purposed you to be. In Arena Church over the years, we have determined and continue to determine to invite people to know God. The crisis, conversion. We have also and will continue to encourage and cheer on the process of sanctification. We've done things like encounter mornings, which were uh, some uh, laid back, the only way I can describe them, Saturday mornings that we held on a number of occasions in Arena Ilkeston. Here was why we did them. The encounter mornings were an opportunity in our discipleship journey or our holiness journey to have who we are in Christ confirmed and to submit any issues that impede or obstruct the power of the cross. We did it by reflecting, repenting, renouncing and receiving. We've also had a number of prayer encounter evenings that have been held in this room and at Ilkeston in the season that God led us into that have morphed into First Tuesday that Josh spoke about. But let me remind you that presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not presence that people have received tonight, presence must always be accompanied by process. You see, I've come to the conclusion that I want some people to be free more than they want to be free. They want me to pray for them every week. They want me to be laboring over their problem. They want me to be, but they don't want to be free. I believe, friends, that the presence of God at times can come in all sorts of ways. Sometimes in our church, you may see somebody fall over. Not because they're odd or weird, but it's been impossible to stand in the power of the presence of God. We don't make a doctrine about that. We don't go on sad because we haven't had 20 people fall over in a meeting. But occasionally it happens. We also have sometimes people shake in the presence of God. But I want to tell you, friends, if you keep falling over and getting up and don't process it, nothing's going to change. Because presence is only determined by process. We have people that would love the services to go on and on and on and on. I'm worried that I get some irate non-Christian husband throttling me about half past nine tonight saying, why haven't you let my wife come home before now? And then, of course, that sort of person grabs me at the door and says, Phil, you know the worship could have gone on, don't you? Well, how long could it have gone on? And if you don't understand that the worship always goes on, into your office, your hospital, your factory, tomorrow you don't understand worship. In other words, friends, we are constrained by time. I I know that sits uncomfortable with people that forever want it to go on, but we understand that. We craft intentional services that are not pushing back on God, but we believe that as we meet at six o'clock, it doesn't mean that it's going to be nine o'clock before God comes. And we're all tired, but somehow we've got to give three hours for the Lord to arrive. He's here right now. We've been praying. We've been preparing. We've been planning. We've been thinking. We've been expecting. And in these next few minutes, God can do something amazing in you. One final point for the cause of balance, and it's this. That... You cannot read the good news books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John without reading that Jesus 
was confronted with and exercised delegated authority over demonic powers. And so it may be that in the area of ministry and finding freedom, this may be an area of ministry that needs to take place in people's lives. But here's the truth. Is every wrong in our life rooted in a demonic source? Answer, no. Because we have to deal with our flesh, which is simply the old life. And demon powers sometimes get a bad press for the cause of the flesh life not being crucified. So we need to be careful that we don't get preoccupied and go down cul-de-sacs or that we don't become so skeptical that we deny the power of wrong and darkness, which we don't do in this church. We don't talk about the enemy of Lot because we'd like to talk about Jesus more. But it was C.S. Lewis that says that the views of the magician and the materialist extremes in balance are viewed with equal delight. And we refuse to go to either place in Arena Church. So yes, we have a desire intentionally to press into finding freedom. So then, why as Christians do we sometimes settle for something less? As a pastor, I want to briefly give you three observations that I see particularly that limit people in the area of freedom. I'm not a counsellor, I'm a pastor. I'm not a trained counsellor. I'm a pastor. I don't want this to seem as though I've been reading hundreds of books and I'm going to take you down a route of psychobabble for the next few minutes. I've not done that either. Just three simple points in terms of being a pastor in a church. But three issues that for me seem to come up again and again and again that inhibits freedom. Number one, identity. This is me. I can't help it. This is who I am. Get over it. You're going to have to take me or leave me. I'm moody. I'm bad-tempered. I'm erratic. I'm mean. I've come to realize, friends, that people who are mean have normally got quite a lot of wealth, but somewhere in their psyche, they never feel they've got enough. So they're forever hanging on to what they ought to give away in case they've not got enough when they've already got enough. You need to deal with it. If that's you, because God's saying it's robbing you of your real identity, It's me because of my family. Oh, my family. That is what's made me, me. Oh, if you knew where we grew up, if you knew that I was the oldest, if you knew that I was the youngest in our family, that's what's made me, me. Well, I'm not saying notice is seven, so I probably need a psychologist afterwards to help me out. But the reality is, friends, that we can define ourselves in a way that is wrong. And it limits our freedom. Here's what the Bible says about you and about me. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says that all your days are ordained in his book. The Bible says that he wants to know you in a personal way. And his longing is that you would fulfill the purpose that sits over your life that nobody else in the earth can fulfill. And when you do that, you truly live free. When your identity is established in Jesus rather than you, then you really begin to gather pace in life. Your identity is not in your job or even your lack of job. I can't get a job. We're believing that if you can't get a job, you're going to get one. 
I'm Phil. Hello, Andy. My next question so often, particularly in the man's world, so what do you do for a living, Andy? See, because his identity, forget Louise, the kids, his identity's in his job. Now, this man's intellectual rights in terms of the field he operates in in medical science is, 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 is way up there in the UK. There's nobody knows more about the machine that he trains people to sell than Andy. That's why he's, you know, when you talk to him sometimes, where are you off to? I'm off to Bristol. I'm off to Cardiff. I'm off to Aberdeen. I'm off to Belfast. You know, somehow he comes back as well, you know. But, but the thing is, so all of a sudden I'm determining him by his job. There's far more to him than that, particularly as a believer. Of course, it's hilarious when somebody says to me when I've never met them before, you know, I'm Andy. So what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Have you ever sat next to somebody on a plane? Known for the next eight hours, they've got a pastor next to them. Oh, flipping heck, he's going to be talking to me about Jesus for the next eight hours. That's why sometimes when people say, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor, you know. <clears throat> you see, I'm not defined by being a pastor. I'm defined by being a son of God. I'm defined by my relationship with God in Jesus and some pastors actually lose that identity. All their identity comes into their ministry role. It's very sad when their ministry role comes to an end. They don't know who they are. And they can be a real pain trying to find who they are. If there's a day coming, friends, when my ministry role becomes less upfront, less having the privilege of being a church leader, it doesn't stop me being a son of God and finding my identity and role in the next season of my life. <clears throat> the Bible readings for March have been compiled by a guest contributor, Sue Buckley, from our Ilkeston campus. I'd encourage you to pick them up online or uh, available at the resource table afterwards because without any collusion with Sue, she's really landed it and she reminds us of what we are in Christ. Briefly, not only identity, but security or rather insecurity. In other words, we're forever living by comparison with others. We find correction impossible to deal with. We don't like other people doing well because if they're doing well, that makes us feel bad. And so we have peop insecure people that love to mourn with those that mourn but find it impossible to rejoice with those that rejoice. And we need to deal with it. I was reading in the weekend press about Alan Hansen. Alan Hansen was a great Liverpool defender in the 70s. I don't know what the score is this afternoon, but Liverpool were losing. And so I did make the point this morning, the boss is away, that that's when Liverpool used to win trophies. But um, it's 1-1, okay. It's going to go on and on. It's going to be on penalties, I can see. But anyway, um, a great defender. And old people like me can remember, he, he sort of made it look so ridiculously easy. It was breathtaking. Uh, and then he became a pundit on Match of the Day, and if you like that program on a Saturday night, then for about 20 years, Alan Hansen in his gravelly Scottish voice would give his opinions. It didn't start off particularly well, because early on, he said, you can't win anything with kids. And the class of 92 from Manchester scooped it all up for the next few years, but he survived that. In this piece in the Weekend Press, he said these words. He says, when I first started to be a pundit, I didn't like pundits. Uh, he says, I didn't like them because I was scared that they might be better than me. I honestly thought they were all better than me. I'm quoting, it was my insecurity. People live with it all the time. I want to tell you, friends, God wants you to be secure. He doesn't want you to be living your Christian life by comparison. 
The Bible says the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. And the third thing is carnality. Paul writing to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians 3, 3. This is a Christian church he's writing to. He says you are still carnal. The word carnal can be described as fleshly or worldly. And the reason, friends, that we sin at times as Christians is because we like to. We want to stay carnal with a bit of spiritual thrown in. But the reality is that God's encouraging us to step more and more into his likeness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 to 32, the Apostle Paul opens up the inner battle that takes place. Yes, even as believers. He talks about the old man and the new man. No reference to your father, but to the old life, to the self-life. He says, intentionally put off the old and intentionally put on the new. Putting on the new literally means to become in practice what God intends us to be. And this week, we will have many opportunities to put off the old. We can hang on to it and to put on the new. We can push it aside. But if we desire to increasingly move in our freedom by God's grace, then we'll be believers that are increasingly putting off the old man and putting on the new. Briefly, the importance of freedom. Let me read from 2 Corinthians some favorite verses of Christians from the message. Paul says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We don't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Live openly and expansively or live freely. You may have heard the story about the lion that had been caged for many a long time. And from the center of the cage to the outer perimeter was 12 paces. One day the fences were torn down and the lion was encouraged to run free. But he could only get to 12 paces and never beyond. He'd become so contained by the cage around him. I want to suggest, friends, that in our Christian life, the enemy loves it. If we only get 12 paces into the walk of the kingdom. But God says there are wide open spaces for us to live free in, to discover, to find, to enjoy, to be blessed by. The importance of freedom. In our verses from John 8, the source of freedom is the Son of God and the Scriptures of truth. The person of Jesus and the Word of God. We believe, friends, that the Word of God changes people. We believe that something is communicated and imparted. We believe that it washes over us and makes us different. And the extent of freedom, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions or sins from us. I believe, friends, that we're talking about this tonight because... It is absolutely one of the passions of God's heart. I believe that God is passionate about his church increasingly finding freedom. I believe that God is grieved when Christians don't live as free as God has ordained them to. When they, they, they're contained, when they're restricted, when, when they're limited, when they don't see beyond where they've been. And the passion of God's heart is that we'd continue to find freedom. I'm going to draw the message to a conclusion. I'll just warn you that the conclusion 
it won't be a couple of sentences. It won't be too long either. But I'm just going to try and land where we're at in the leadership of our church in this season, running with this essential series of knowing God and finding freedom. Of course, it starts with the crisis, conversion, and then it begins to live out in the process, sanctification. Let me carefully give you three examples from this week. On Tuesday, uh, it was my joy to be part of the area applications team that twice a year meets to process applications for Assemblies of God ministry. I know that many of us are concerned about the spiritual temperature of our nation uh, and about many people seeming to have a disinterest in God. But I want to encourage you tonight that God is still stepping into time and calling people to ministry. And I never cease to be any less than moved by the life stories, impacted by the sense of commitment, uh, just of people that are passionate to be good leaders, men and women, in the church of Jesus Christ. So I want to give you three examples, not from bad people, not from terrible sinners, not from people, in quotes, that need deliverance, from three people that have got a call of God in their life for ministry, that are realizing that they're still on a journey of finding freedom. The first one was a lady that's being restored to ministry and to ministry status after an emotional break, breakdown and speaking about freshly finding her identity and, and blessing in God. The second was a lady that uh, lives with the pain of a distant earthly father. I can't open up on that simply to say, believe me, very distant. And realizing in finding freedom that God the Father is not like that. And then what about the young man in his 20s that's moving into ministry that for all sorts of reasons had a dysfunctional, transient childhood that means he's lived in 36 different locations, 3-6 and finding freedom in understanding that his security is rooted in the Lord. This is what we're talking about. And in James 5.16, there's a verse, friends, that we believe is catalytic in helping Arena Church find freedom in these days. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What is the context where we can with safety, with integrity, with uh, transparency, find a context where we can find freedom in terms of sharing and asking other people to pray with us. Well, we believe in small groups. And we believe in that small groups increasingly as they move forward will continually and increasingly in different expressions of small group exemplify James 5, 16. Without being freaky, without being weird, without being intrusive, without me, forgive me Andy, picking on you again, having never met Andy before, we meet in a small group for the first time, I say, okay mate, spill it, come on, wash your sins this week, you know, we're not talking about that, we understand there's been imbalances in the church over the years, but we're not going to push back friends on the journey of God because of freakiness and weirdness, we're going to do it right. And let me give you two or three examples of this. 
In the United States, there's been a powerful men's small group ministry called Promise Keepers. It has a sevenfold promise that people hold themselves accountable to. Number one, they'll honor Jesus. Number two, they'll find authentic relationships. Number three, as men, they'll commit to purity in an impure world. Number four, they'll love their families. Number five, they'll belong to a local church. Number six, they'll break down any racial, denominational, or social barriers. And number seven, they'll live as an influence in a needy world. And then what about this pastor? Yes, a pastor leading a church. A quote from a book that I read at the end of last year called Leadership Pain. The pastor says this, I'm passionate about wanting to walk in the light. And I realize the importance of confessing and repentance. I need to be quick to confess my sins. I need to quit hiding, rationalizing, minimizing, and justifying. I need to find someone to speak the truth out with, loud. Just like in James 5, 16, tells us to do. I don't have to tell everybody but I may need to tell somebody. Confession opens my heart to the flood of God's love, forgiveness, acceptance, and blessing. Without it, I am stuck in the quicksand of denial. If I want to live in the light, I have to radically commit to the truth. No more faking, no more pretense, no more masks. I'm committed to walk in the light whatever it takes. Then thirdly, a group of ministers that were meeting together in what would be described as a fraternal. Fraternal is just another word for brotherhood. And these men may, on a regular basis, again, I'm not suggesting this ought to happen every time, but they committed to a covenant of questions with each other. And every time they met, they would ask one, have you been completely above reproach in all your financial dealings this week? Have you exposed, secondly, yourself to any explicit material that would impact on your inner being? Three, have you spent time daily in the word and prayer this week? Four, have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling? Five, have you taken time off to be with your family? Six, have you just lied to me? And uh, different examples, friends of people finding an authentic journey in relationship so that each of us would continually discover that God's purpose over our lives is to be free. I've had the joy of being a Christian minister for quite a long time now and being a Christian. Thankful that I've been able to give all my adult life to serving God and uh, being part of His church and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. I'm just as impassioned about it now as I ever was, even more so. Impassioned about this journey. Christian and me still wanting Arena Church to thrive, to prosper. Wanting Mansfield to come to all that God's ordained it to be. And we thank God for all that God has done. And so it's essential that we know God. And it's essential that we find freedom. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. May each of us, friends, whatever our backgrounds, whatever our journey, whatever our experience, whatever our pain, may each of us continually pursue the journey 
of finding freedom. May we not be determined by the cages that are no longer there because they've been dismantled. Because yes, it's all happened in the cross. But what has happened in the cross needs to be intentionally processed in our lives. We're seeking to create context to help all of us find that happen. May we live in freedom. May we continue to find freedom because it's the heart of God for all of us. Amen. Amen. I wonder if we'll just pray a moment, please. The band are going to lead us in a closing song. They've done a great job today. And uh, I encourage you just to really be with them in the final song. But before we close, okay for time. Um, We've got refreshments, all those things. But in this moment, this moment of God's presence, God's presence, I wonder if we can just pray. And on a Sunday evening in Arena Church, we've determined on a regular basis that we're going to give an opportunity for people to know God. We don't want to make assumptions. We don't want to say, oh, that person's a believer. That young person knows Jesus. We don't want to make any assumptions. We realize sometimes people come for a long time before they feel they can step in. And so I'm just going to make a twofold appeal. I'm not going to ask anybody to come to the front. Uh, if you are one of those people that would like to be prayed for tonight and to fall over, I'm afraid it's not going to happen tonight. But the reality is, we believe right now in the power of His presence that God wants to speak. And so, if you've never come to know God, you say, Phil, I've never become a Christian. I, I missed Julie's message last week. I wasn't here. Or maybe you were here. Maybe you've been thinking about it. I don't know Jesus. I've never asked Him to become my Lord and my Savior never asked him to uh, uh, enable me in his power to become a follower.